Welcome to my podcast, Today's Dream, Tomorrow's Reality. My name is Vicki Poole. I'm a life coach, health coach, and a hypnotist at The Enlightened Peach. This podcast is all about embracing our mosaic life. And some of you may ask, what is a mosaic life? Well, it's recognizing that all the pieces of our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, all have come together to make us who we are. Change any one thing and we are different. With that in mind, I invite you to embrace your perceived imperfections and celebrate who you are. And this podcast is unedited and raw, just like life. I'll be your host and we'll have special guests from time to time. And as a matter of fact, I have an amazing guest for you to meet today. I'll introduce her in just a moment. And if you have any ahas or questions, please leave a comment or a voice message. So now let's get started. So the person I have in front of you today, and we know each other just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. We met in a um, in a group that we jointly um, were enjoying the hell out of it. Um, but this <laughs> is Candace J. Frazier. She's a certified master transformational health and life and mindset coach. And we actually, uh, we went to the same school together, correct? Yes, we yes, went to I was HCI together. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, yeah we've been, we've, we've been, we've been in the same circle since 2017. So. Yeah, so it's amazing. Um, she's a former certified medical assistant, an Air Force veteran, poet, author, and speaker. She has overcome the adversity of childhood abuse and trauma and is a two-time suicide survivor. By implementing a holistic alternative health approach, she overcame her own health struggles. She learned how to rewire beliefs, set healthy boundaries with herself and others to overcome codependency and discovered how to accept, let go, forgive, and unconditionally love herself. So um, without further ado, mm -hmm. oh, well, let me find you here. There you are. I had to find <laughs> you on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm here. Hey, yay. So it's so great. And it was, it was so interesting when um, we were both in this group and you were commenting and I commented on something and you said, we went, I think I remember we went to school together. And I, th I think we did. So mm -hmm. it was really, really cool to reconnect and realize that this education that we had um, been in had expanded out and that we were continuing to find the same kind of groups to get together. So that shows that we are soul sisters at heart, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that is the vibe tribe, uh, synchronicities, not synchronicity <laughs> type yeah. of just how the mosaic of life unfolds. You know, yeah. you and I have been dancing in this arena of enlightening others for quite a while. And we're out here finding our way, failing forward and still trudging forth and just really embracing all of the mech, the mess and the muck and just realizing that no matter what happens, we're going to find our way, but definitely, definitely interesting, interesting how we find our way into that group with other coaches and conscious business owners like ourselves who are here to empower humanity. And like that for me was a sign that I'm right where I'm supposed to be because this is my tribe. And that's right. So, so for those listening, that's how you kind of know you're right where you're supposed to be those extraordinary outcomes when people that remind you of you and are very similar in things and ways and, you know, adventures that they're on, that's how you can tell you're, you're, you're coming closer to alignment with what your higher self wants you doing. Yes, I, definitely. I don't know about you, but my higher self has been <laughs> nudging me and pushing me ever since I found HCI and I haven't stopped learning since it's been a personal development journey. I thought I had one dark night of the soul and that was good. And I was done. Oh no, there's a few more coming. <laughs> That's like, right. Hold so on. Speaking, so speaking of that dark night of the soul, let's go back. Um, because in your bio, it had said that you were a two time suicide survivor yes. and you had, um, um, was it domestic abuse? All of a sudden it just went right out of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, domestic violence, dysfunctional childhood. Uh, until a few years ago, I had only known abuse. That's okay. what I thought love was. <laughs> right. So let's go back a little bit. 
um, because we're trying to keep this within an hour and I really want to dive into a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. So go ahead and just kind of fill us in just a little bit and and kind of give us the cliff notes on some of it so we can kind of stay within our time frame and still express everything. Okay. So um, how do you want to start with this? Well, let's just kind of pop it off with, it comes down to life skill literacy and emotional and psychological and physical, physiological intelligence, all of which my parents lacked. <laughs> they mm. had no, they had no idea how to navigate their own human experience, let alone you know, pop out a bunch of kids because they were just boinking like bunnies. Oh, now what do we do? Oh, well, uh, uh, I'm Gen <laughs> X. So it's like, let's put them outside. Yeah. Well, yeah. let come in at night, you know? Yeah. So we, we, we was feral, but we were homeless, but we had a house, but we didn't, it, it was, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, clearly born in the seventies to a mother who was Catholic and unwed. And her belief was if I have this baby, I'm going to be a ridicule, but if I have this baby or if I don't have the baby and have an abortion, I'm going to hell. So, and this is a big part of my story. And this is a lot of what I teach to understand who I am. I had to understand what made me, me. And as you know, we learned in TCM that birthrights start at the moment of conception, right? I was, I was never wanted. I was, I was a hot mistake, you know? And so from the moment of conception, I was getting the message in all of my cells and all of my being, you're not wanted, you're not loved. It's not safe to be you. It's not okay to exist. And ironically, I was born premature and I weighed five pounds, five ounces, you know, that five, five number. Mm -hmm. And my mom said when she gave birth to me, they handed her me and she just literally gave me to her mom and said, here you go. Happy Mother's Day. Cause I was born on Mother's Day. So, um, that was the beginning of my story. Come to find out years later, I didn't know that I was an unplanned pregnancy with someone else. I thought I was an unplanned pregnancy pregnancy with the man that had raised me, but she was the babysitter and this guy was married and they canoodled and ah, ta-da, here I am. <laughs> and so my mom was only 19. He was 50 something. So he was mm. a lot older. And, um, well, I can say just an interrupt really quickly. I used to babysit all the time when I was a teenager and I don't know how many times the man be driving me home and suddenly his little hands would be coming after me and everything. And I'd quit babysitting for them and I'd go to somebody else, but it happened a lot. Yeah. 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 And I imagine with my mom, um, not to jump all over, but my mom, when I was abused by my stepfather, she was in bed when it happened and she did nothing. And for years I thought, why didn't she do anything? I actually had a counselor tell me most likely she was in freeze mode because she had went through that herself. So she was in fear, you know, it doesn't make it right, but damn, like when you have the bigger picture now, it's like, oh, okay. So fast forward, she has me and then proceeds to abandon me, leaves me with her mom, goes out parties. And, you know, she's not, she's not emotionally mature at all. And she's dealing with her own traumas. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have the skills. She doesn't, she doesn't even know how to love and take care of herself. So she just does the best she could. And then she ends up pawning me off as this other guy's kid. And the whole town knew I wasn't, which makes sense why <laughs> people made fun of me and would talk behind my back and family relatives would be just, I don't know. It was really weird, but looking back now, it makes sense. Anyway, the guy that she got pregnant with by me didn't want me. And um, so after her going back and forth with him a couple of times and abandoning me with my grandma, the the rest of the story gets kind of blurry for a while because I'm putting together bits and pieces of what other people have told me because she kept it to her. She took it to her grave. She died in 2013 mm. and I found all this out. So from 2013 till now. Is your grandmother still alive? No, I okay. am based. I'm an adult orphan. There are no, no. Um, no grandparents. I have two uncles that are still left alive, but one's marriage by, because the stepdad wasn't really my dad. And so this whole time I grew up thinking these people were my blood relatives, but they weren't, which thank gosh, because the incest that happened and the abuse from cousins, like the shame that I was able to transmute, realizing that that wasn't blood, but then realizing uh, 
I'm not alone in this. There are people that happens to, and it is blood. How do you deal with the shame of that? You know, that's Mm -hmm. what drove me to, to get to the point to where I wanted to kill myself. And that was the shame, but also that impaired birthright of, I wasn't wanted. And then I'm born into a family where I'm abused and neglected and abandoned over and over and over, and then enter in puberty. And I start being given alcohol freely. You know, the first time I got drunk, I was five. (laughs) Funny Mm -hmm. story. Um, So they had a party. I don't know if you can know back, back in the day, our families would have parties and there'd be all the adults and no one watched the kids. Well, I was in the house going behind everybody tipping up the drinks and drinking what was left in them. I didn't know I was five. And I woke up in the middle of the night, went to the bathroom. And all I remember is falling into the toilet and screaming to my mom, mom, help, I fell in the toilet and I can't get out. <laughs> and she comes in and she's yelling at me, what happened? I don't know. And then I hear her yell, Jerry, she's been drinking. Ah, I was just like, <laughs> So that same year I was sexually abused. Um, I was forced by an older cousin. I was abused by my mom. She kicked me into the corner of a TV and cracked my head open, knocked me unconscious. Um, That same year I took a bunch of cold tablets, the contact cold tablets, thought they were candy, had to have my stomach pumped. Age five was a really hard year for me. Mm, Obviously. (laughs) You know, and then um, lots of, learning disabilities from the head injury. And one of the things that really made me different from that point on is I was having conversations with relatives that were dead that I had never met. And I was relaying stuff. And my dad, stepdad was like saying, I don't even know how you know that you never even met them. I don't know. (laughs) So um, clearly some weird thing happened from that head injury. And it only gets, it only gets freakier as time goes on because fast forward to age um, 12, when I'm attempt suicide for the first time, I believe it had a lot to do with hormones, but it also was at that same time, my stepdad who had been sexually abusing me from age nine stopped. And I didn't understand why I was like, that was the only kind of affection I was getting because my mom didn't my mom never said she loved me, let alone hug me or tell me I'm special or I'm smart. I caught none of that. The only affection I got was sexual. And so um, it would happen when he was asleep because I would um, be the one that was tasked to give him back rubs because he had a bad back. So his chiropractor taught me how to do massages. So from age nine to 12, when this was all going on, I was the one that had to do the back rubs. So I would fall asleep. And the time that it first happened, I woke up and he was behind me and I was like, what the hell is going on? So I just froze because when I was five, my cousin had told me that if I ever told anybody that it was my fault, that I would be the one in trouble. So shame and guilt. So Mm -hmm. I was locked into this cycle and didn't even know it. There was a subconscious dance going on and I kept playing it out over and over again. And that's what most abusers do is they figure out exactly what to say to the victim Mm -hmm. to make them feel responsible and scared of saying anything to anybody, scared of being um, ridiculed, scared of not being believed, you know, all these different things. And so they are masters at at all of that. So you go through and you're, you said it stopped at what age? age 12 and age 12. And And the thing that's interesting to me just really quickly that just popped in my head is that, you know, you said that you wondered why it stopped because you were, that's what you were used to. The only way you got any affection. And, you know, a lot of people that are deal with this kind of abuse and everything, especially when it starts at a young age, that's how they start feeling like they, they almost long for it even though they know it's not, it's not, doesn't feel good. It's not right or whatever. And it can even start feeling good, but it's that, (laughs) you know, that's, you know, a need that they have. And then if it keeps going, then they just start building up this guilt and all these different things. So do you know why it stopped at that age? I started having my periods and Ah, you were too old. 
I didn't want to, he didn't want to get me pregnant. And I think uh, what it, so I, ironically, I ended up getting pregnant at, I just turned 15 when I found out it was pregnant and the guy was 22. Um, my mom's mom sent my birthday card uh, and basically accused my stepdad of having gotten me pregnant. And I was like, terrified. I was like, oh my God, how does she know? I thought no one knew. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my, I was just like, oh my God. My grandma knew, I think she had yeah. to have. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, and that's so, why they didn't allow her out after that. She, she wasn't allowed from age 12 was like 11. My grandpa died, my mom's mom. And my mom went into a deep depression after that. And after my grandpa died, my grandma wasn't allowed to come out to the house anymore. They didn't mm. allow her around. And I, I didn't know that then, but yeah. Yeah. Makes sense now. Why? Definitely. Yes. So let's go forward just a little bit. So this all stopped and you're kind of wanting to know, well, wh what did I do wrong? Probably mm -hmm. is how you're feeling at that age, right? Oh, absolutely. And add alcohol to the mix because my parents didn't say no to drinking. They let us drink. They taught us all how to cuss. Like they're, <laughs> they were teenagers raising kids, basically. Like yeah, they were 19 yeah. and he was 16 when I was born. So they, they didn't know, yeah. but, um, so they had pretty much kind of locked me in this dance of neglect and emotional neglect. They weren't attending to my emotions. I've had a lot of emotions. Like I, I was I was slightly autistic. I was most definitely struggling with um, developmental trauma, complex PTSD, which presented as what the doctors years later tried to say was borderline personality. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I never got a chance to develop my personality. So you can't say I'm any of that shit. Yeah. So I refused that label. Same with any of the mental health ones that they wanted to give me. So um, I think sometimes when they don't have an answer, they just have this little cute little list of things that they can say, well, that'll fit, you know, and yeah, that, well, they just do that. So let's, let's go ahead. And when you're, um, when you're looking at all of this, at what age did you do your first attempted suicide? So it was very much around that. It was 12. Okay. I don't know the exact date because it's been so long ago. All I remember is we had been working on this garage project building the shed out in the back. And I just was tired of being rejected. And my mom had probably done something again to where I was trying to get her to listen to me. And she just would not look at me, wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't just complete narcissistic injury left and right. And I just remember I didn't want to hurt anymore. I was tired of feeling invisible. I didn't feel like anybody wanted me anyway. So I was just going to take care of the problem myself. I just wanted to go to sleep and never wake up again. So I took a full bottle of aspirin. There was a hundred aspirin in the bottle. It was a brand new bottle. And they had these Don's back pills that said may cause sleepiness. I'm like, perfect. So I took, I think there was eight pills in that whole bottle. So I took all those and I didn't tell anybody. And because I figured if no one cares anyway, why, why should I say anything? <laughs> And I went and sat in my room. And the next thing I know, I kept waiting to get sleepy, but I never got sleepy. So nighttime came and I'm still sitting there and I'm like wide awake, or at least it feels like I'm wide awake. I don't know. Fuck, who knows? Some crazy shit could have happened. I could have been dead for all I know. Um, Cause clearly I should have at a hundred aspirin. There's no way at 12, there's no way I should have survived that. <laughs> like that's toxic levels of aspirin. So I'm sitting there and all of a sudden my room is no longer my room. I'm now in space. I'm in the stars. I'm surrounded in the stars. I'm sitting on my bed and these three bluish green aliens pop in and they got big, big eyes, really tiny nose, like can't really see their mouth. And they're speaking to me, but they're doing it telepathically. Mm -hmm. And their message was, you know, this mission was going to be hard. You signed up for this. You do not get to go yet. It's not your time. And I was like, what the hell? And then the next thing I'm waking up the next day and I'm like, was I hallucinating? What the hell was that? Like that seemed really, really, really real. <laughs> and 
couple days go by and I'm not doing well. And my parents start to notice, like, I'm feeling, I'm looking really spacey. So they thought that it was the, um, like polyurethane stuff we were painting on the shed. Cause I was in there in the garage with my dad helping paint. So they thought maybe that's what it was. And I don't know why, but I told them, I was like, because I remember feeling really faint and just really weak. And, mm-hmm. um, I was like, no, I, I tried to kill myself and they're like, what you tried to do what? And I, I was like, yeah, I took the whole bottle of aspirin and all the Don's back pills. My freaking dad, instead of calling 911 or rushing my ass to the hospital, he puts me, he like puts him, his arm underneath me and drags me out the house and starts making me run laps around the house. Like, excuse me, what the hell's that going to do? And then takes me inside and starts making me drink prune juice. So for the next week, I had to drink prune juice and I was grounded for quite some time. Uh, so, well, she wants to commit suicide in her bedroom for God's sake, let's make her stay there. I know like the, the logic. So after I got ungrounded, I started dating this guy who was, um, older. Oh, so that was another thing at the same time. I totally forgot about that. My first love, my first boyfriend broke up with me at the same time. My dad stopped having anything to do with me. My mom was, so I was like, I'm not wanted here. Um, And so he broke up with me because he was moving away and he didn't want to hurt me and his mom wouldn't let him talk to me. And, uh, well, we, we met back up years later and he was like, I had no idea. He's like, he told me everything that happened. I was like, dude, I tried to kill myself over that. Like, so, but he also didn't know what I was going through behind closed doors. So, you know, it's, it's this, it's the irony of how they would keep grounding me to punish me, but they would never actually teach me anything about myself, how to communicate, how to have a voice, how to ask for my needs to be met, how to interact with other people. You know, I was basically a slave. I was a modern day slave because from age eight, when my mom got sick up until I moved out at 15, I was the one that did all the laundry, the cooking and the cleaning, not, not anyone else. I had two baby brothers, but they didn't have to do that stuff. It was all on me. So, you know, I got ungrounded and quickly was regrounded again because I went out to some church thing, but I was out with my 16 year old boyfriend making out with him on a picnic bench. And one of my dad's 12. 12. Yeah. 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 And so his friends saw me and then my dad caught me in the lie because I tried to lie. And he's like, you sure, you sure that's what you were doing? I was like, yeah, I had no idea he knew, but that's okay because it, it I learned real quick not to lie because the punishment's always worse than right. being honest. So he grounded me for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was on even more chores and punishment and more isolation. And, um, just, I, that, that time of my life is actually a complete blur at that. So what grade were you in at 12? Six, six. Okay. Yeah. So you were still going to school though, right? Yeah. I'm still going to school. I didn't drop out of school until I was pregnant with my son because I couldn't get, I couldn't fit in the desk at school anymore. (laughs) I mean, like I was already embarrassed as shit, but now I can't like sit in the desk. So they put me on homeschool and you were 15. Yeah. Yeah. I was 15. I'm trying to make sure I've got that in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm 15 and my parents, as if it wasn't bad enough that I'm pregnant as a teen, their next thing was like, get the fuck out. You're not a problem anymore. Like, wait, what, excuse me, problem. And so there's that, oh, I was a problem. So again, I've been a burden my whole life. Now I'm a problem. Now I'm even more in one. And now I'm a, a, I'm a pregnant teenager. My parents just drove me to Missouri from Illinois and forced me to get married to this dude, like literal shotgun wedding. Mm. And, um, we, we come back from that, um, from that ceremony, it was June 27th of 1987. And I remember that priest was so old that he was shaking 
when he was like, he's like 90 years old. He was shaking when he was writing. So the, the handwriting was like jiggity jaggedy. He smelled like he was dying because it was in his house. And it was like, I wore a blue dress and I had so much shame. I felt so ashamed. Like, and so I inherently created within my newborn or unborn child, that same sense of not being wanted. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but you know, in hindsight, if I can only go back, but I can't, I know. but we can all say that about so many things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously just to interject here, um, like the, the aliens told you that this, this was your journey is what you asked for. And I'll just share this real quick from a book that I've read. Um, and I cannot, I always can quote things from books, but I can't <laughs> tell you what books they come from. So I completely apologize that I can't give somebody credit for this. But um, in this book, it's talking about how our souls um, get together and make the contracts. And this is the way they explain it. It says Sounds that- Sounds like journey of souls. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, the souls are, it's like they're all, all these souls are at a bus stop. Mm -hmm. And while they're at the bus stop, they're all talking among themselves and everything. Yes, I'm going to go back to earth as a, as a person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And one of them says, you know, what are you going to go back to learn? He says, well, I really want to learn compassion. And he says, Ooh, you want to learn compassion? Well, I kind of want to learn humility. How about when we get to earth, we connect. Yeah, that's great. So these souls meet. And what happens is the soul that wanted to learn compassion is driving a car with his family. The one that wanted to um, learn humility crashes into this car, kills all the passengers except for the driver. Oh my! And so that driver was wanting to learn compassion and so what they end up doing is having compassion for this driver and, you know, but all of these things that happened in the process helped them to fulfill those contracts that they had mm -hmm. made when they were at the bus stop. Yeah. And so um, that to me was the most profound way of explaining it that I had ever heard. And it just really made me understand, you know, how some of this works. And so even you made a contract that you wanted to learn the things that you learned by not being wanted and everything. So did your child. That was their contract. That's why they were brought to you. Yeah. Right. So, you know, sometimes when we can think of it that way, I know for me, when I can think of it in that way, it takes some of the burden off because you did exactly what you were supposed to do, even though you would go back and change it if you could. But actually, that wouldn't be a good thing because that baby wouldn't have been able to fulfill that part of their contract. Yeah, well, that baby actually fast forward, he went to Iraq and Afghanistan as a Marine and he came back and tried to kill himself twice. And on one of the calls, he called me and hung up and the last words I heard from his mom, I love you, but I don't deserve to live and hung up. So it's thank you for reminding me that because that's what that's what I found on my journey. And that's what helped me to transmute the pain and learn to forgive my parents, because I believe I did a five year old meditation regression and mm -hmm. I asked my five year old, what the hell am I here to do? You're just here to be love. You're here to show people how to be love. Oh, Okay. And so that's what I do. You know, that's what I'm here to teach is I want you to be seen. I want you to be heard. I want you to feel safe. I want you to feel wanted because I didn't ever feel that. And mm -hmm. I can now see through as everything is played out, how I clearly chose unconditional love and forgiveness. Because when my stepfather passed away last year, right before he passed away, he had called or before he got sick, he had called and it was like, he was saying his goodbyes and asking for forgiveness. And as much as there's this like part of me, the, the wounded part, she's got a lot of rage <laughs> mm -hmm. and it took a lot for me to transmute that, to be able to be like, look, dad, 
you, you taught me so many things that were beautiful. Like I'm not focusing on all the hard things that we went through and we never, ever talked about the abuse. Someone not. brought that up. Someone brought it up at my mom's funeral because I had said something to a sister-in-law and she was telling everybody around town and it got back to him, which is probably why he disinherited me as well <laughs> in the will. But um, he's like, yo, you're uh, so-and-so is going around town and saying that I sexually abused you and and I just went, I just, my head went down real quick and I just started shaking my head. Like, I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, man. And I changed the subject real quick Yeah. and it was real awkward. And just, I could see how there was this human who had done all these horrible things, but I always could see in both of my parents, these wounded kids that never got to feel safe and loved. They never felt wanted. So how the hell are they supposed to teach me that? Mm -hmm. And so that was the biggest part of my journey of transforming that whole belief and story around my parents. And, you know, I have so much gratitude for them now, you know, yes, there's pain, but I'm human. You know, I, yeah. I am, I'm, I'm in the duality of, I see the hell that I went through, I'm on the bridge of neutrality and courage and willingness. And I see all of the possibilities that are coming from the hell and how I can create heaven on earth by what I focus on by right. being loved and being present in right now. So let me ask you, so were you able to forgive him? Yes, you were. So yes. what do you feel like? Let's say there's somebody that's listening right now or watching that has a situation may not be as dire as what you had, but a situation of something that's gone on with a person in their life and they just cannot seem to forgive. And the the thing that's always interesting to me is that I, uh, that quote is, um, um, what is it? Um, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Um, because the, the, the feelings that you have and how charged they are, don't really hurt them. And half the time, they don't even know you feel that way. You know, it's all interdirected. So what would you say from your experience that they could do to maybe help bridge that gap from all the angst that they feel? Um, because like we know, forgiving someone is not giving them permission to do anything else. And it's not saying, you know, you, you're, you're okay. You know, it's saying, I forgive you. It's not charged and I'm, I can still protect myself from you. Yeah. Well, that's a very good question. And there's a lot around this. And one of the biggest things is forgiveness isn't, isn't saying it's okay what you did, but it's allowing me freedom mm -hmm. from being in a state of shame, guilt, and antagonisticness in my consciousness and lowering every vibration in my body, poisoning myself, not ever affecting you. And like you said, that's what it is. It's drinking the poison. And I'll show you here. This is the consciousness map. And, All right. if, and if you're at forgiveness, you're living at acceptance. So you're vibing at 350. But if you're down here in despair, regret, blame, humiliation. Yep. You're dying. You're yeah. dead. And we're You're also, <laughs> whatever that vibration is, that's the kind of energy that we're bringing to us. So the yes. longer you stay in that lower space, the more things that are going to happen to really solidify all those thoughts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was asking questions about what was the positive intention of this and what is it? And, and this is where you get into this part for forgiveness how can I find a view of life that's harmonious? What do I need to do to do that? Well, you've got to find meaning. You've got to step out with passion and purpose and get into allowing. And as I did that, this is what happens. I aligned with my vibe tribe. You know, I I found the the right words at the right time to ease the pain. Mm -hmm. I was allowing. So source was showing me all of the things in my illuminated mind that could show me how I was already in heaven without dying or I could be in hell. Mm -hmm. So I had to die before I died. Basically 
die before you die is to rise up into inner light and reason, which is the understanding like you and I have is, okay, well, I'm at earth school. <laughs> I came to learn lessons. Oh, holy shit. I picked the AP classes. <laughs> I'm gifted. <laughs> Start spinning yeah. the... Put the positive spin on it. Like I chose this, like I'm a conscious creator. And that is how you know that you are not a victim and you're a victor. And that comes back to um, another piece that I talk about. Um, and I shared this on another podcast to, if you're really wanting to heal, you're going to find success by searching however you can, whether it's free, whether it's paid, you're going to find a way to show up and do the work to heal the inner wounds that have happened in the past so that you can integrate and become whole again in the present so that you can manifest more of what you want in each moment going forth. So it's you've, you've got to face the pain. You've got to face the fear. And fear is what drives everything. And if you looked at this, this lens is a fear lens. Right. This is a love lens. So right. until I started looking at life through what I call my, I put on my, my wonder love goggles and was like, I wonder what I can see that is lovely. <laughs> Why mm -hmm. is this happening for me? And so around that time is when that book journey of souls came out and I heard about soul contracts and I'm like, huh, karmic contracts. And the, the, the ex-husband that I had left the relationship from and divorced in 2018, that was a karmic contract. He was like a mirror image of me and all of the brokenness that I'd went through, he'd went through it in some level or another. And we were just like toxic. Yes. Oh, but yeah. we were like, like we could not <laughs> tear ourselves apart. We were addicted. And so that's the thing. Addictions, trauma is the gateway drug y'all. Like, I don't care what anybody says it's trauma. Because trauma was what wrecked me before I tried any other substances. Right. You know, well, like people do, they, um, it, and one of the, I guess the messiest things is going through the process of, of healing all of this stuff, because it, it can be painful, oh, um, yeah. you know, to, to do it, but anybody that's listening or watching, believe me, going through that pain and getting it out is amazing. There's a book that I love and it's called, and I can't remember the author's name, but the book is called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. Yep. And the more you push things down and you don't deal with them, they're going to manifest somewhere in your body. They're going to manifest yep. in something that's happening, or that's where a lot of basic bad, bad illnesses come from and it's mom. just you can't it, it's got to come out and yeah. if you don't get it out in a in a healthy way it's gonna rear its head somewhere so before we um before I forget I wanted to ask I know you said you were a two-time suicide survivor mm -hmm. so um take us on into the journey where did you try your second time that would be at age 25. And I wanted to, to on that, what we just okay. finished up that illness, my mother mm -hmm. ended up with rheumatoid arthritis, which is feeling very put upon inner critic, guilt, shame. And we know she was living with a shit ton of guilt and a whole crap ton of shame and her negative voices inside of her head were bad. And it literally just deteriorated her joints to the point she could not even move forward. Like, so the Louise, Hey, you can heal your life. Check that book out. That book changed my life because now I'm like, whenever I have any ache or pain, I go, what's going on. And I, I'm I like, have that book too. So I look it up as well. <laughs> yeah. So like all the illnesses that I was having, cause I had multiple autoimmune issues and, um, all kinds of like random things was happening with my body and all the tests were coming back. Well, this scan says fine. This scan says fine. We don't know what's wrong with you, but I had this constant pain in my uh, right kidney and Whitney Harris, one of our um, success coaches at HCI, I was on a call with her early on and she knew about Eastern medicine. She's like, well, that's because you're not watering your own tree, honey. And I was like, oh, at that point I was like worried. I was more concerned about making everybody else happy because my belief was in order for me to be happy and safe, I got to make sure everybody else is completely good. And only then do I get to be happy. 
Yeah. Well, my body was screaming at me in the form of kidney pain and they did all the scans and they couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. But in some ways you're lucky they didn't find anything because what happens a lot of times is they find something and then they start medicating and they start doing all these things where you can't, you know, (laughs) correct it, you know, so um, blessings for um, having that part happen, you know, so it didn't become a medical issue. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. They they did end up finding a bunch of different things and put me on 11 different prescriptions. And I was taking 21 plus pills a day and was not getting any better. And it was so age 25. It was kind of similar. I was in the military active duty. And then I got what out. What branch was, of military were you in? I don't remember. Um, Air, Force. Air Force. I was stationed, I was stationed in uh, Abilene, Texas. And um, my uh kid's dad, who I met there, his family was from California. So that's how I ended up in California. So we met and married within six months, didn't even know each other. Like I've learned my lessons about that now, but anyway, so we were together and, um, it was really good at first, but when you grow up with developmental trauma and he had to, cause his parents were alcoholics, it created a cesspool of two adults that didn't know how to cope with their emotions in a healthy way. So we were both drinking a lot and um, both active duty. So we weren't doing anything other than drinking because you couldn't, but he started working nights and so I wasn't seeing him. So then now I'm not feeling the love. And then I realized right after, was it right before we got pregnant with our son? I don't know, but we, we went and got my oldest boy from Illinois and brought him to live with us because he had been through some trauma with his dad and stepmom. Like, I'm not even going to go into that one, but it was horrible. Like, I'm trying to protect my kids and like, it, it wasn't happening. So bring him to live with us and we have our son and we're fighting a lot. Um, I've got severe insecurities. Um, I'm really difficult as a partner, you know, I can look back now and see how I was difficult, but all I wanted to do was to be loved and anything that threatened that would trigger me. And I would react in a way that was very immature and selfish and narcissistic and like, Oh, it was bad. Um, so I get pregnant again, like eight months later, my son is eight months old. I get pregnant again. And, um, I was struggling with postpartum depression with him because before I got pregnant with him, I was having flashbacks of stuff that had happened when I was younger because I had stuffed it all down, completely ignored it until I couldn't anymore. Cause then I got pregnant and that, that triggered me. And so I started going to counseling and therapy in my early twenties and it was sporadic here and there, but it, there was so much to unpack. And I was so skittish. There was no one getting 10 feet. No, you couldn't get close to me. Not with the 10 foot pole. I totally said that wrong. But um, <laughs> so we're going through, we moved out here from Texas. So now I've moved away from everything familiar. I'm in a completely unfamiliar area. No family, no friends, except his family. And we move in with his parents who were both alcoholics. And you can imagine as his dad, older alcoholic made it very uncomfortable. And I started just drinking a lot. I started smoking cannabis. I started popping whatever pill I could to fucking just, I didn't want to feel because I was just overwhelmed and stressed out. Cause now I had three kids and was a stay-at-home mom and could not regulate my nervous system or my moods. And they had me on Zoloft for um, the depression before I got pregnant with my daughter and they took me off of it. Uh, And then after I had her, they put me on Prozac. So she was born in April of 96. A year later, I had basically ruined our marriage, sabotaged the hell out of it, um, split up with him, tried to take the kids with me, but he's like, you're not doing that because you don't even know where you're going. And I'm like, all right, you're probably right. Uh, I should think about the kids. I'll let them. He's like, you can let them stay with me. You can come see him when 
whatever you want. I believed him. I trusted him. And uh, he started not letting me see the kids. He met someone else and she didn't like the idea of him having me around the kids, which is weird. Um, so a year after we moved here, I'd been living on my own from January till this was April 1st when I tried this one. I actually remember because it wasn't that long ago. It was April 1st. It was April Fool's Day. I was living in an apartment with two other men. Um, one of them was my boyfriend and the other one was wishing he was. So he was always hitting on me. So you can imagine with the sexual trauma I had, how I just, it was chaos. Um, I didn't have any furniture, so I slept on the floor. Um, but I was on my own. I was making like $5 an hour struggling to survive. And, um, my kid's dad, instead of helping me pay the bill on the car payment, had it repossessed out from under me. And at that point, now I'm really struggling and I'm in this job that does not make me happy. I, I feel so much shame, so much guilt. My kids aren't with me. Like my whole reason for living is gone. Those kids were why I got up every day. Now I don't have them. And now he's not letting me see them. And it was just at that same time, the postpartum depression, I was hormonal because I wasn't eating properly. I was drinking alcohol, which I now know really disrupts your hormones. And when you've got brain traumas, it's a really, that's an absolute no-no. And I didn't know all this then. So it was like a whirlwind of chaos. And then they poured Prozac on top of it. <laughs> And so for me, none of those drugs have ever helped me. If anything, they have always made me worse. Mm -hmm. And, and I came home from the event. We were at great America all day. We we're supposed to be having fun. We were riding roller coasters, but I was, my, my, my mood was just flat. I was just blunted. There was lights wrong, but no one was home is what I can kind of look back at now. And I just couldn't smile. Like I couldn't find a reason to smile. Everything was just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I don't know how to make it stop. So I just went home and didn't even think Vicky. I literally was like, oh, I forgot to take my pills. So I pour my pills in my hand and I take my pills. But the next thing I realized I've taken the whole bottle and it was a brand new prescription of Prozac. So fatal dose yet again, mm -hmm. here I am. And I'm distraught and I'm crying and all of a sudden my heart starts racing. And I was like, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to just go to sleep. Damn it. I just wanted to go to sleep. Thank goodness it didn't because that prompted me to call my kid's dad, who was a paramedic at the time and say, I'm sorry, please tell the kids that I love them. And I feel like they deserve better than me. And I'm never going to be good enough for them. And I'm so sorry just tell them I love them. Candy, what the hell did you do? And I was like, just tell them I love them. And he was like, what did you do? And I told him I, I took an overdose. And he was like, what did you take an overdose of? And I told him, and he was like, hang up the phone right now. I'm calling 911. He calls 911. They show up and I'm becoming even more incoherent at this point. And they take me outside, put me on the gurney. And right as they put me on the gurney is when I started feeling even more weird because they made me drink a bunch of charcoal upstairs mm -hmm. before they took me downstairs. And I remember telling them like, look, I don't think I really want to die. I just, I'm in so much pain and I don't know how to make it stop. I was completely overwhelmed and I was absolutely hormonal. Like there are so many moms out there that don't survive that. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky I did. And just to say really quickly, anybody that is resonating with this and they have any of these feelings like that, definitely reach out for help and, yeah. you know, do a suicide hotline, do anything you can to keep from going to these, these measures. Yeah. Because sometimes you change your mind and they ain't no coming back. Yeah. And luckily for me, it was an overdose that they could save me from, but mm -hmm. barely. You know, and I remember being in and out of consciousness in the hospital and I could hear him out in the hallway crying, going, why would she do this? Doesn't she know that we love her? 
no, I didn't. <laughs> and I remember seeing my monitor, my heart rate, just doing this. And I um, woke up the next day and they took me to the behavioral medicine and 5150 me for 72 hours. And they made me call my mom. So also at that time I was remembering the sexual abuse. So it had come up and I couldn't deal with it. It was just too much. You know, I had my, my ex father-in-law hitting on me and being inappropriate and no one listening to me saying he's being inappropriate. And so, uh, so let's fast forward a little bit. Um, and you come to a place where you're able to take all of these horrible things that have happened to you in your life and repurpose them to become a new version of yourself where you are actually helping other people to um, get over these things, not get over is not the right term. It's to get through all of this to become who they want to be. And so where were you? I mean, how long did it take for you to go from that space where you've just tried to commit suicide for the second time to get to where you feel like now I'm on the right path and I can help other people to, to survive this as well? Well, I would like to say that that was in like 2019 when I'd finally started, you know, getting on my own two feet and was doing things. I had two podcasts that I was recording and hosting, and I was going to be doing um, international speaking on cruise ships and then COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. And um, I took- So did that make you kind of slide back a little bit? <laughs> It did because when COVID hit and I lost all of those achievements that I had gotten and um, everybody that I had loved and cared for and felt safe with turned their backs on me, I had found out that I possibly had thyroid cancer and um, just- Which is manifested from all that stuff. Yes. And, <laughs> and at this point, the doctors, I'm telling them like, look, my brother died of medullary thyroid cancer at age 40 uh, 49, I'm about to be 50. Like, can we take this serious? Oh, it's not big enough for us to biopsy. So yet again, I felt abandoned and neglected and left all to my own. So that really prompted another dark night of the soul, which ended, um, it was up and down, you know, I, I, I did different things trying to get myself out there. I started to try to do lift as you know, it's, you know, like Uber Lyft, I was doing that, but I constantly felt unsafe and I was getting hit on. I was getting verbally attacked and verbally assaulted. <laughs> it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me. But what I realized when I was doing that is I would share with people, I would just intuitively know what was going on and I would bring up a topic and I would share where I was and what I was going through. And they'd be like, oh my God, I knew there was a reason I ended up in your car. And so I started seeing the synchronicities playing out. And I was like, I really can help people. Like, there's nothing for me to be ashamed of. I've been through hell and back and I'm still, I've got a lot of courage and people are impressed with that. So I was able to see me through eyes of others ah, good. by being vulnerable. And, and so I actually, that was where, um, that's where this book was born, was in driving my car and counseling people. I was doing mobile coaching for free for people. And, you know, a lot of people said they wanted my card and whatnot. No one ever actually like invested with coaching with me, but I do know that I planted a lot of seeds. And one of those ladies I actually seen somewhere else. And she's like, oh my God, I remember you. She's like, you changed everything for me. I'm like, wow. So 2020 was going on. I was public, I was writing this book and working with a book um, editor Launched it in January of 2021. At the same time, my podcast co-host decided she didn't want to be co-host with me anymore because she had family stuff going on. So that dissolved. And I was like, yay, I did it. I'm a millionaire. I published my book. I'm an author. It's what I wanted to be since I was a little girl because I was a sixth, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, even with all that shit going on. I loved school. That's where I got my attention. And I was the star student. I got young authors awards, third place, second place, and then first place in sixth grade for short Perfect. stories. So I did it. Right. And I thought, yeah, you 
publish the book and then all you need is people to just see the book and then they buy it and then then you you know you start making the big changes yeah that didn't happen like i didn't sell any copies of the books right away and it trickled here and there but um it was march of 2021 the depression the hormonal imbalance because i had gotten in an accident in february of 2020 someone rear-ended me and it herniated five discs sublux to couple ribs and caused more damage because the marriage that i had left in 2018 was another dark night of the soul because that was the attachment issues to the narcissist and codependency so i thought i was really struggling then but that wasn't nothing compared to fast forward when now I've got out of all this and it still seems like I can't do anything right. And no one, no one, everybody's talking about how they have all these addictions and all these problems with narcissist abuse and not loving themselves and, you know, just being out of alignment. So I write a book about it and it didn't seem to, I just felt like I did all over again when I was little. Mm -hmm. So I had tried to do everything I could to keep my shit straight while I was going through that car accident healing, but there was a lot of stress with the the lawsuit and everything and just the chronic pain because I couldn't sleep. So it's back to like, you know, being right after having a newborn baby, you're not getting any sleep, your hormones are wrecked, your appetite's wrecked, you're not eating right. So everything's just wonky. So how did you get out of that? So I was really struggling. And my partner who was significantly younger than me was like, I think you should do mushrooms. And I was like, dude, I'm a coach. I can't be doing that. Like I have a reputation. And he was like, you ain't going to have no reputation if you ain't alive. I was like, well, at this point I am desperate. And, um, I had done mushrooms earlier in my twenties, but not as medicine. I was just trying to be high and just be out of my head. And, um, so the approach this time was different. Um, it wasn't about getting high. It was about, this is life and death. And there are studies that show that when you have severe PTSD, the stuff really helps. And at this point, like I was crying every day. I didn't want to get out of bed. I had no energy to face the day I had, my kids weren't talking to me. I wasn't getting to see my granddaughter. I was isolated and very, very unbalanced. And so I did the uh, mushrooms. And when I was under the influence of the medicine, I kept having this, like, it's almost like you get hot and then you get cold. But for me, it was like, I felt safe. And then I felt freaking terrified. And then I'd feel okay. And then I'd be like, I don't feel good. And I'd be like, hold me. I'd be like, no, don't hold me. I was just hot and cold. And we were talking about the loneliness that I was feeling and how I felt unwanted and alone. Again, it was coming up. It needed to come up to be purged. And my partner was being so sweet and loving and supporting me. And I'm just sitting here just having meltdown and then laughing and then having meltdown and then laughing. And then I go, oh my God, I'm not alone. I'm totally tripping on something that has no merit here. And then all of a sudden I felt sick to my stomach and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be sick. And I threw the door open and bleh. So I'm looking at the vomit and it looks like the iris in the eye, you know, how all the little fibers are. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was breathing. And in that, in that moment, I was like, there is so much more to life than just success. There is so much more to life than just death. It's about all the messiness in the middle. Like you say, the mosaic and mm -hmm. the mosaic that I saw in that moment was at all those times I felt alone was the times I was the most surrounded like the little circle in the middle of my eye, never alone. And so. And just after, real quick, anybody that's listening, we're not saying you need to do mushrooms no. because this is an individual thing. And this yeah. is something that helped her, but you know, we're not saying that it'll help you at all. So yeah. just wanted to exactly. say that very quickly. <laughs> exactly. And I don't advocate for people to just, <laughs> 
to just go do what I did. No, yes, it's, yes. it's your soul. Your higher self is always guiding you, but you have to tune into Tokyo you and right. listen. Right. And that was me listening to my higher self had said that, but my ego was like, but why will people say at that point, I didn't give a shit what anybody was going to say. Because so at that point, so you've come to this realization that you were never alone, that you, no matter how bad it felt at the time, that it, it wasn't true. You did have a, a, a symphony of love coming around you, right? Exactly. Um, so then you proceed to go forward from there and you start coaching and actually charging for your coaching and mm -hmm. you're you're getting into a place where um you feel good about the decision of where you are right now so tell us a little bit about that so so then that awareness um what had happened ironically from that car accident and right around that same time i had what i believe is the kundalini awakening and i started having this massive flow of poetic words and things were pouring out of me left and right. I was getting what I, I guess they call them downloads because I was, mm -hmm. it, I'm not hearing voices that are like weird or wicked. It was all these just divine wisdom. Like my partner was like, have you ever read um, conversations with God? I was like, no, why? He's like, cause it sounds like that's what you've been reading. I was like, this is what I'm hearing coming straight into me from source. And nice. he was just like, wow. <laughs> so at that point I went, Hey, maybe there is something. So, I, you know, I'm surrounded. If you were to see my desk, I have poet poetry everywhere. I have like charts that I've created to help. Like, you know, I have this one, which is the consciousness one, but I have all of these too, which I started seeing for those of you who can't see, she's showing me a bunch of different little charts and everything. So, yeah. um, cause not everybody can see this cause I oh, will yeah, be yeah. sharing out. So a lot of it's just audio, but yeah, she's showing but, us some re really cool little, um, graphs and everything that she's got on these papers. Yes. And those are what I share with clients. Mm -hmm. I have created all these because of what happened with my brain injuries. The way I learn, I have to see it. I have to write it and I have to speak it in mm -hmm. order to integrate it. And so I think that was what was happening with my healing because of the way I learned, I wasn't fully integrating my healing. So it was like fragments. It's like, you're only getting the little, you're getting only little getting bits of the of recipe. It. Yeah. So I didn't get the whole recipe all at once. Mm -hmm. It took me years to get here. Well, now yeah. I got the whole recipe. So my Good. clients that come in, they don't got to take all those years and grief and all the shit that I went through because I got it all perfectly laid out day by day, each step that you got to do to show up in Perfect. order to transmute that pain and transcend that cycle of pain. And that is what I have been playing with. And it comes in the form of just keeping it real simple, yeah. showing up each day and being in appreciation, setting the intentions for what I want to do that day. Keep it, keep it simple. Three, you know, go by the three, three things I appreciate, three things I intend to do. And then at the end of the day, three things I appreciated and three things that I intend to do for the next day. And that was book number two that I actually wrote during the month of my dad being sick and dying. I published it the day after he was passed away because I just felt like I'm not going to let this hold me up one more minute. These people have, they've parlayed in my stuff long enough. It's time for me right. to rise and shine. And I have been with a fierceness, like nobody's business since this the, 2022 is my year of really integrating it all and really diving deeper into the understanding, the consciousness, because that's where it all comes down to. I can now see how my parents lived through a lens of fear and they never, they never evolved out of fear. So mm -hmm. they're probably going to have to come back and do it again. Yep. That's okay. That's their journey. Well, exactly. we're getting close to time right now. So um, really quick before we pop off, um, go ahead and tell people how they can connect with you. If there's a special place for them to go for the book, you know, whatever it is that would help them to utilize your expertise right now. Okay. So for the books, I would just suggest go straight to Amazon and Google my name, Candace J. Frazier. My books are listed on there and I've given you the information. So it'll be listed in the contacts with the 
podcast. Um, They're they're on my websites, but you'll get a lot faster ordering it through Amazon. (laughs) You can get them signed by me if you order them through my website. But again, it's just a lot faster. I plan to do book tours so you can get signed books at that, at that way. Uh, as far as like to, to find me on socials, I'm most active on TikTok. I do share on Instagram and Facebook, but TikTok's really my jam because there's more of a community over there for me that engages with me. Whereas I share on Facebook and Instagram and it's crickets. And for me, mm-hmm. that was just too, it was too triggering and it didn't seem like that's where my people were living. So I'm like, ah, that's not for me. And so, um, so on TikTok, would they just be Candace J. Frazier? Okay. Uh, Candace J. Frazier. I really tried to keep it simple. I mean, I had all these cute names for stuff, but I'm like, no, I'm branding me. I am branding Candace, not someone else's business. So Candace J. Frazier across the board, wellness with Candace's Instagram, um, Facebook is Candace J. Frazier and YouTube is Candace J dot Frazier dot 1081. I think I'd have to look it's, it's on the list. It's on the I, list. So I'll put it, um, I'll put it in the comments and especially cause I'll be sharing this on YouTube as well. And I'll definitely yeah. have it on there. Yeah. So it's been a pleasure and there's so much more oh, that yeah. we could <laughs> talk about, but you know, we're limited on time. So I definitely would like to ask you to um, be a guest again so that we can explore some of these things a little bit further for mm-hmm. our listeners. So yes. are you up for that? I am absolutely up with that, up for that. Perfect. Perfect. And then I was going to say, um, would you like me to uh, read a poem? Sure. I have a bunch of them. What are you in the mood for? Self-love, empowerment. Uh, self-love. Oh, hmm. self-love solution on page 207. And now I'm going to stay away and thrive, release negative influences and love yourself. Self-love solution. To self, embrace with loving kindness, be gentle, speak with loving awareness, move, sway, and breathe with loving graciousness. Your mind, body, and soul are delightful rareness, accompanied with curiosity and consistent self-care, revel in the fairness, utilizing newfound awareness to give doubt and worry and fear the eyes of blindness. Self-love is the answer to confusion and madness, and it starts with awareness and mindfulness. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is a perfect end to this podcast. So I thank you so much and thank you guys for listening and keep watching the, um, for new episodes because I'll be putting them out every week. So thank you so much.